This is the hiring brief. The engineering world has been in constant change for the past 20 years at the very least, and from a management standpoint, it has also presented managers responsible for creating new innovations with a new challenge. How to properly and efficiently lead a team of creatives and creators. Today, you listen to Jose Delgado, a software engineering manager at Olo, who's been in the middle of this evolution and constant change for more than 10 years. Jose's been working and leading teams focusing on being an enabler as a manager and empowering his teams through tools to be productive. In this interview, led by Jesus Lopez, CMO and co-founder at Coderslink, we talk about remote work, general management, engineering management, and hiring in the tech world. Don't forget to check the link in this episode's description to get a copy of our guide to help you put this advice into practice. Now, let's listen. So thank you very much for joining us, uh, Jose. It's a pleasure for me to have you in this you know, short interview. The purpose of this interview is to get to know more about you, more about your practices, more about you know what you think about the remote remote work, uh, you know tendencies that have been happening. And, you know, to dig a little bit deep in terms of that so that folks are able to, to get some tactical information and, and use that to improve on their, on their team's experiences as well as build on, on new teams. Thank you for having me here, Jesus. Uh, my name is Jose Delgado, and I am a software engineer manager for a company called Olo. I have been doing software engineering since late 2002, early 2003, and I have been managing teams of software engineers uh, for about the past 10 years with a little break uh, about a year and a half ago. Wow. Uh, I am out of San Antonio, Texas, by the way. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but uh, I used to be to, to live in Austin, Texas for, you know, for 10 years. So we share that, you know, the Texas spirit, which I know is pretty good in terms of, uh, you know, the whole engineering and, and, you know, it's been growing quite a lot in terms of, of, of companies moving out there as well, right? Correct. Yeah, especially Austin and Dallas area. There's a lot of headquarters now from, you know, large corporations, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and the like. Uh, they're all moving over here to Texas. Tesla yeah. being the latest one. Oh, uh, yeah, with HQ made the too. news. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, okay. And, you know, wh what does... What does, can you tell me a little bit, a little bit about Olo and, you know, how big a team you currently manage? Uh, what can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, so at Olo, I manage what we call the menu team. So Olo is in the restaurant space. Mm -hmm. Olo enables restaurants to have an online presence and be able to do delivery with all the major delivery partners. Uh, so think Uber Eats, DoorDash and the like. And when you think about menus, you know, imagine you're a restaurant brand and you sign up with Olo and, you know, you want your menus to show up in our white label site and you want your menus to show up in DoorDash and you want them to show up on Google and all these different places. So what we do is we expose multiple ways for you to do that, right? So there's a, an administration panel, there are APIs. And that basically takes care of the consumption of the menus. And then we then syndicate those menus out to the different consumers. So that is at the core, you know, what uh, my team does at Olo. Uh, we currently have eight engineers, senior for the most part and staff level engineers. 
we will be onboarding about three new engineers pretty soon. Fingers crossed. Oh, that's pretty cool. And and do you grow constantly on, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis? Is it more organic growth or do you have a set standard for the whole year? How, how, do, you, how do you deal with growth in terms of engineering? As a company, we have been pretty much doubling for the past three years, I would say. We doubled the engineering team for the most part. We have planned to hire, I believe it's close to 90 engineers this round. Uh, DevOps, management, uh, software engineers as well. Software engineers at all levels, all the way from junior to staff. So yeah, lots of growth. Uh, with COVID specifically, you know, Olo went from being um, what you would consider a nice to have to a must have, right? When all restaurants are forced to close and only do delivery, then, you know, we become a, a very, very necessary company for them. And, you know, that showed in, in, in all the extra uh, orders that came through our system. So that's, that's that at. sounds like happy problems. And those happy are the problems, problems that, yes. that you want to have. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm happy for y'all that, that, in, in, that this is, is, you know, that's a silver lining, I guess, in terms of all of this that's happening worldwide and, and, you know, being able to provide that because that's in a way it's becoming, you know, the norm for everyone to do it, to do, you know, to include these apps in their everyday lives. So it's pretty cool that you get to, 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 to have a little bit of, of input in terms of what's, what's happening behind the curtain. So that's, that's pretty cool work. Yes. And, and, uh-huh. and, and we managed to keep a lot of people employed, which makes us very happy. Right. Uh, Cause there is a difference now. Right. So just because they're able to do delivery, you can at least keep some uh, people employed on, on those restaurants instead of fully closing the locations. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good for economy, good for, you know, everybody that, that needs to find some food. Now, you know, they're, they're able to get it delivered to their homes as well, or, you know, go pick it up, uh, which, you know, just being, being enablers in, in the whole area, I think is a pretty rewarding experience for us. So we're very happy that we're doing it. That's awesome. At least I know that I use at least, you know, Uber Eats or, uh, you know, I used to use Favor a lot, but Uber Eats I use at least like once or twice a week, at least. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those users. We work <laughs> with Favor as well. <laughs> Texas based, HEB bought yeah. them, but yes. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and is this the biggest team you've ever managed in terms of engineering? Uh, no, no, I've had teams. I think the largest was about 16 engineers, um, wow. but that is not really sustainable. It's a lot of work, right? Um, so what we decided to do back then was basically split the team into smaller okay. teams. Right? Okay, that, that's interesting. And I, I, I think I, I'll, I'll want to come back into this a little bit as we as we dive into into other questions. But this is very interesting because I... I always wanted to know if there was a ceiling on it, but but I'll I'll, I'll keep it in the backlog for now. Um, good. And, and one of the questions that I love asking is is the reasons behind doing something. So what made you get into engineering? Was there a particular reason? Engineering per se, um, I like to tell the story is uh, it was a radio ad, and okay. good luck. The the radio ad, I, I was driving and there was this radio ad that basically said, networking administration is the future. That's what the radio ad was for. And you should join and study networking administration at the local community college because you're going to make a lot of money and everybody's going to be doing this. And, you know, I was still in high school at the time and I listened to that and I was thinking, oh, you know, 
uh, like sort of makes sense. I, I really don't know what I want to do. So um, I'll just go and try it. So I sign up in the community college and I actually got a, a, an associates in network and administration, information technology. I hated every minute of it, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, but it, it got me thinking about technology. And so at the time, I also had a, a job at a consulting company. And at the, you know, the consulting company, they decided to give me the opportunity to join their QA team. So I started doing manual testing uh, in QA. And then from QA, I jumped over to the engineering team. And they just said, you know, would you like to learn how to code? And I said, yes. They gave me a pile of books. And that's how I got started. Go learn, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. And 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 this is very interesting, you know, uh, with Cordis and we deal with, you know, over 13,000 developers in our community. And and we've had these questions before, you know, in terms of, you know, what's the, what's the right path? towards getting to engineering and and what we say and what you're telling me is sort of like the same thing is there's no ideal path i mean you're gonna go like straight to engineering from you know from college or or go through different areas such as you know like like yours a network and then qa and then engineering so uh, i think discovering a little bit of all the the different areas of engineering helped you know modern day developers really know exactly what they want because there's just a lot of different areas that exist within engineering that it's hard for them to understand or grasp when they're making those big decisions. And those big decisions are when we were young, when we were like 18, we don't even know about life and you are making huge decisions. So it's pretty cool that you were able to, you know, to bump around in terms of the technology industry before, you know, landing into what, what you do today. And and from what I, from what I, I gather in our previous conversations that you really love doing. Yes. Yes. It, It became a passion that I didn't know I had, Right, so that's that's the lucky part in, in my history that uh, this company was uh, willing uh, to have me learn on the job. Uh, so that was a really really good experience for me, and you know I discovered the world of you know software engineering that way. So pretty cool. Okay, so let's 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 switch gears and move a little bit into one of the top topics is right now, which is remote work. You know, as you know, remote work is basically permeating our everyday lives has become the new normality. And, and, but the thing is remote work was popular in tech way before COVID-19 and before the, the pandemic uh, struck. So I know that you've been working remote for, you know, past couple of years, but you know, how long, I don't, I don't know exactly how long. So how long have you, have you been working fully remote? It's been about seven, close to eight years now that I've been fully remote. Wow, that's that's a lot of time. And 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 how do you think? You know, what do you think that we that we as as you know as an industry, you know, technology as an industry, and and you know every every other industry nowadays has? What do you think we evolved into that? What do you think we evolved into remote work? Do you think there's a particular uh, you know reason for that, or you think it's just natural? What do you think about that? I think it's a combination of things, right? So we have better internet speeds, right? And, and that's a big enabler. We have much better security at the edge. So think of your laptops, your cell phones, um, better apps for communication as well. So Zoom and, and your chat, Slack, uh, Teams, uh, they're, they're all enablers for these things, right? And then, so we have the combination of good internet, good security and good applications, then it just becomes very natural. It's just like waiting, you know, for this explosion of people to find out that you can work in this 
you know, different way than what you're used to and and that it works, right? And I think another one, and this is coming from uh, more thinking of uh, large corporations, you know, back in the day, you felt like you had to maintain everything in-house, right? So you had your servers in-house, you had your own data centers, laptops had to be there, you know, you had a little chain, you know, for your desktop or laptop computer, and it was secure and you're securing everything in your building. And then you have the cloud coming in and now you have a lot of software as a service companies, right? So everything is in the cloud somewhere. You just sign up, right? And you get an account. So then that shift from, we have to keep everything in house to, you know, somebody else is going to take care of that. You know, everybody that works in an office, you know, with, with their data, right? Whatever they are, all I have to do is implement these new security measures, have VPN set up, right? Um, and so just the combination of all these things being available, I think made remote work very obvious to, you know, the ones in technology. And now obviously with COVID, it's like, you know, there's really no other way to work. So if you want to survive as a company and you don't have to be present, then don't be present, right? Work work remotely. Um, and, and that is just, you know, a, the way forward, I think. And that's, I think you, you, you struck on, on some very interesting points. Uh, because while you were saying that, I, I kept thinking about the time that I would have to, you know, plug into the computer and then dial up. And then it was a whole sound. Of, it was really hard, you know, to, to, to get online. And, I, and now that you're saying that, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, how would you be able to work like that before? Of course, it would be you know, insane. But nowadays, it's you don't even think about it. You're you open your laptop, you're online. You don't even have to click anything. You're online. Exactly. So, so that's that's a very interesting point. And I think I think it's only going to get, in my point of view, is it's only going to get you know bigger and better and and more immersive. I don't know if you know with AI or you know, I'm not AI, but you know, augmented reality is what I what I wanted to go. Will even give us another depth. Because I think this is sort of like the first layer, but I think we'll have to wait, you know, a couple of years for that. But, but I think it's interesting to, you know, to think about, right? And, and I mean, you also say that, that there's, you know, it, it's been a natural evolution in terms of, of how the, the technology has been coming, coming together. You know, on the flip side, what, what do you think the advantages are for of, of, of remote work or, or of working remotely? The biggest differentiator in, in my mind is that it's, we don't reward presence anymore, right? Uh, so think about it this way, you know, you used to reward the, the person that showed up early at the office, the one that attended the most meetings, the one that stayed late, right? The one that had a presence in the workplace, you know, those were usually the high achievers. They wanted to be close to their bosses, to executives, and that's how you would move up, right? With remote, you know, while well, there's the concept of presence, you can have a one-on-one meeting via Zoom, or you have, you know, a status in your uh, Slack. The what the added value here is is that you look more at what comes out from your work, right? What value are you adding to the company, and not, you know, how much presence time, you know, do you have in an office? Uh, so, you know, that that mind shift. Uh, change in mindset it i i believe it's probably one of the biggest advantages of working remotely i agree you know that that meritocracy if you will it's it's sort of like the shining a light on it and i think that's that's very important in 
you know, in a company and, and very important in terms of understanding who's really doing the work, not who's really showing up. Which I think that's that's your point, right? So yes. I 100% agree on that, and and it's and it's you know interesting to see how that'll continue to to play out and 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 get immersed in the DNA of new companies because I think we're still in the younger younger ages, younger years. I think that's a better way of saying it. Younger years of, of remote work. So it'll be awesome to see how companies evolve into that. For example, Coders Link, we we are fully remote from inception. So We've never known. I think the only the only time we've seen the whole team are you know you know yearly retreats. But besides that, that's the only time we're in the same building. So hopefully we'll we'll we'll, we'll see in five, ten, fifteen years that you know what what the actual outcome of that is. But you know, before you know, between now and then, there are a lot of things can happen. And yeah. you know, technology is a very interesting world and like like we were saying there's just a lot of different roles a lot of different categories a lot of different programming languages you know and, and think about remote work do you think there are several positions that are better suited for remote work than others or do you think it's just playing across the board what do you think about that um on the technology side you know on unless you're actually maintaining hardware on a data center uh, i think it's very difficult for anyone to then make a case that you cannot be remote right um uh, all the tools are there, the software is there, you know, all, all you basically need is a computer, an internet connection, and that's it. You can do your job, right? Um, so there's really no excuse unless you have to be physically present to do something. Maybe an accountant might need to do, you know, some paper shuffling of some sort, but uh, pretty much all, all accounting software, it's, you know, it doesn't require a, a physical signature, right? So there are digital signatures to be used for that. So there's, you know, there's, there's really no excuse. Uh, I think it's more of a preference that, and, and maybe a mindset is, is still embedded in, in, in some people where they just prefer to have a presence and have somebody next to them and have those conversations at the face-to-face. And that's totally fine, right? Uh, as long as you admit that that is the reason why you're not allowing remote Right. Yeah, being being upfront about it. I want to see you in the office. Yes. That's it. <laughs> just, exactly. just say. It. <laughs> yes. But that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's cool to hear. You know, that at least in the technology industry, at least in technology roles, most of them can do it. So, I mean, I'm. I don't know why I kept thinking about sort of like those hardware rooms where there is just a million servers. Like that guy would not be able to to work remotely. But I think that's the only one. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. And. I want to dive deep in terms of, uh, you know, zeroing in. We talked about remote work. I want to talk a little bit more in depth, you know, going on one magnifying it a little bit closer about engineering. I'm sorry, about general management practices. I know you are currently a manager and, and you know, from what I gather, from what I've talked about from, you know, from my own experience, I know management is definitely not easy. And there's just, it's a different way of doing, you know, a specific job and managing a team. It's just different in so many ways. And I know there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And I know there's a lot of different practices, frameworks, and, and you know, a, a variety of things out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm interested in seeing, in learning, you know, in your eyes, what's the role of a manager? Role of a manager? It's uh, actually a good question. I, I think that has changed. Uh, I have to say that. So we're in, in this sort of transition stage, especially in software engineering. So 
and even in the Air Force, I don't know if I mentioned here that I was in the Air Force, right? Um, when they teach about management and, and a lot of the books out there, when they teach about management, you know, it's uh, reward and punishment. So carrots and sticks, right? Reward people for good work and then punish them when they do bad. And and that is very common uh, in, across the industries, lots of industries. And it's a very common way to, you know, manage individuals, right? But when you manage software engineers, right, you're dealing with creatives, right? And then you find that the carrots and sticks approach doesn't really work that well, right? Uh, so then the switch is into what the industry calls servant leadership, right? You become an enabler for the team. You get your team unstuck, you remove roadblocks, you coach them, you give them the resources that they need, and then you get out of the way, right? You want to have, yeah. you want your team to have autonomy, right? Mastery and purpose, right? So it's very important thing. So, um, so it, you know, it's, it's, it's a change in the way you think about what it means to manage a team. You know, you don't have to be there telling people what to do, exactly how to do it, when to do it. That's no longer the, the, the job of a manager, right? So the job of manager is to get the team together, help with processes, get everybody on stock, and then allow them to be a master of their domain, right? You hire them because they're experts, let them be experts. I like that. I like that. And I think that's, that's spot on. And, and specifically for, you know, to, you know, creatives, like, like you were talking about it, it, it allows them to continue to build autonomously. And, and I think that's one of the most key things for growth and com- why companies should, should look at, at, at that approach, that particular approach for, for their teams. Now, do you have any, specific, you know, principles, you know, I know you mentioned a couple of them, but I don't know if, if you follow, you know, a specific list of principles or, or any, also you mentioned an approach, but any, any different approach or different name to the approach that you manage. So, yes, there are, you know, things you gather throughout the years and, and from experience and then, you know, trial and error. I, I want to apologize to my early teams. You know, I probably put you through the paces and I was doing a lot of learning on the job as I went and uh, reading things. But uh, so the things that I care about, I, for example, care about about team accountability. Right. So it, it's a team effort from the start. Right. So production code doesn't get to production without multiple people being involved. Um, so then team accountability is probably the first thing for me. Time management is a big one for me as well. If we're staying late, you know, we're probably doing something wrong. Uh, even during, you know, crush time or pressure time, you know, that, uh, you know, we should be able eight hours in a day is more than enough for for us to do our work. Uh, so time management constraints is, is another one. And this mostly, you know, I came from a poor background. You basically, you know, if you want to play soccer and you didn't have a soccer ball, you made it one out of paper, right? So you look for the value and then you look for what you have and then you try to provide that value. I think this is extremely valuable in business, right? So uh, that carried over from just my background. Simplicity first is one of those things where, you know, something simple, uh, it's it's a lot easier to explain, a lot easier to understand, a lot easier to replicate, uh, but it's not easy to achieve. So simplicity is not an easy thing, but it's, it's something that uh, I strive for with my teams, with my processes, when we're architecting systems, keep things as simple as possible, even though it's going to be something very hard to do. And um, 
I value the individual. So I know that I hold my accountable, but you know, on the individual level, I need to learn how to communicate with you specifically, what you like, what you dislike, right? So it's very important to, to have that one-on-one relationship, to be able to be a better coach to them, uh, to be able to have them grow with you as a team. You need to know the individual. And then, you know, again, with this team-based approach, you know, trust, uh, so lots and lots of exercises to gain trust and, and be able to have conversations, even when the conversations might be, you know, have negative connotations where, you know, there's a difficult subject. We should be okay raising our hands and saying there's a problem, right? So if you don't have that trust, you know, it becomes very difficult. Things start, you know, your team start hiding things from you and, and that's when you get into problems, right? So that's sort of like more or less, you know, my, my, my quick framework, I don't know what to call it, but based on that, you know, it expands into everything else. That, That's pretty uh, awesome. And I like them. I like them all. I mean, uh, you know, a c- couple of ones that, you know, that, that I notice quite a lot is, you know, the simplicity one. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I, I know that it's usually solutions. The best solutions are simple, but the implementation of those simple solutions is completely you know, insane and massively difficult. So I can appreciate that. And I can appreciate that, uh, you know, sometimes our, our mind wants to go into a complex, you know, complex stuff. And the more complex, about, the more, the, the smarter we might feel, but it's maybe it's sometimes it's definitely just not the way. So I, I really appreciate that. And I really, I, I, I definitely like that, that, like that one a lot. And, and I think that, that another key thing that, that you mentioned, and I want, I, I want, I'd like to dig a little bit deeper in terms of that is, is trust. Cause I, I, I recognize that trust is, you know, is built on, it's uh, somewhat, it's earned as well. Uh, there's various degrees of trust. Trust is not the same with, with, you know, with everyone. You may trust another person more than you do another one. So I think trust is, is key, not only for teams, uh, not only for management, but for achieving, you know, achieving goals that are unified. And so you mentioned that there's, I don't know, I don't remember specifically the wording that you used, but you mentioned that there's some decisions that lead to trust. So, or there's some activities that lead to trust. So in terms of, of, of digging a little bit into that, what can you tell us about how you build trust with your own team? Sure. Um, it's not easy. It's going to take a, a long time, I'll be honest. But one of the things that you do is that, you know, you start by opening up and, and be, you know, honest about things that you might not share with everybody, right? So you, you become vulnerable. So when you show vulnerability, you know, that usually is providing the message that, hey, it's okay. I'm not perfect. I'm not here to judge you. We can talk to each other, right? We can have trust in, in each other. Uh, and that happens through many and many conversations, right? So having one-on-ones, getting the team together, we do something here, we call the breakfast club. Uh, so we get together on a Friday and then we just talk and eat breakfast from home or dinner because we have engineers in the other side of the world as well. Right? Nice. That might be in dinner. And we just get together and, and then we talk, right? And then we talk about family, about life, about likes, dislikes. Um, so just having that constantly and, and being open about yourself it helps a lot with, you know, trust building. So, and, I like and I would say I had something else. I think the, it, you know, and it's starting with that trust mindset first. Right. So when you hire these uh, engineers, you 
you know, hopefully you're putting them through a, a process that validates certain assumptions that you have, right, uh, on the engineers. So trust their judgment, you know, start by making sure that, you know, you don't question you know, the solutions that they bring, you know, that, that you hire them because they're experts and that they know better, even though you are an engineer, they probably know a lot more than you by now, uh, especially if you've been doing management like I have for a while. So trust their judgment, right? It's still, you know, question things to get out of doubt, but don't question in a way that, you know, says to them, uh, you don't know what you're doing, right? Um, so, you know, if you want trust, you have to start by trusting others, even if you don't know them personally. So. I think, yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's key. You know, yes. it's, I think it's a two way, two way street. And, and as a manager, I believe it's also part of the responsibility of engaging when that sort of like opening the space to, to, to for that to happen. Um, you know, for, I, I can give an example of how we do it at Coder saying we have this thing called, and I really love it. One of the things that I, that I enjoy the most of the week is it's called Question Wednesdays. And, and it's silly and it's just something very, very simple, but it's something to look forward to in, in terms of the week. And what we do is we post a question, a personal question, every single every single Wednesday in our team chat. And we just have to re respond to that. And it's, uh, you know, questions that go from, you know, you know, what's your, what's your favorite food? What do you prefer tea or coffee? But the, the thing is the simplicity of the questions turns into the conversation. So maybe you start understanding that someone, you know, likes, you know, Italian food. And then suddenly you realize that everyone in the team loves Italian food. And now you have a, a good place you can go whenever you meet each other. So, I mean, it's been, cool. it's been fun. It's been fun doing that. And, and, and it's, it's also sort of like what we do and what the, the fun things that we add to it, because it's not just, Hey, here's a question guys. But we also had like gifts of, you know, the price is right. And, and, um, you know, to make it fun. So, so whenever you were saying that it sort of like struck my chord and, and I thought it was, it, it's some of the things that I, I enjoy, you know, doing, and I think it, it helps the team decompress and, and also realize that it's while we're working, it's also about human relations and about having fun. So exactly. Yes. So I like that a lot. And, and uh, have you, have you managed teams in an office setting or have you only managed teams on a remote basis? I started in an office setting. I was not a manager at the time. Started as an engineer in an office setting. And then I was promoted to manager with the same team. And then I switched to remote. So it was sort of like a little bit in the office and then fully remote. And uh, this question then might be a little bit, I don't know if it'll be difficult to, to answer. Maybe you won't have enough experience if you would for for that but how do you think there's a, a difference between managing you know a team in an office setting versus remote difference between office setting versus remote um i think i mentioned something about value before so yeah. i i would assume that that is the case right having that the presence doesn't really matter so much um as in as a manager to be honest, I, I don't care when you do your work or where you do your work, or if you took a break to you know walk your dog or if you went for a haircut, none of that really matters anymore, right? Uh, so the whole presence and showing up early, you know, has a lot less weight with me as a manager uh, now that I'm managing teams fully remote. So it's more about the value that you're adding 
right? And, and how good you work with the team, right? So communication becomes very important. Written the communica- communication, you know, I, I place a lot of value in that. Uh, writing processes, writing ideas, writing action items, writing meeting notes, everything has to be written down uh, because, you know, when you're remote, you know, then time zones are a factor of life and not everybody's going to be available at the same time as you. So being able to then go back and get that information asynchronously becomes very important, you know, to managing teams. So I agree. Yeah. And how, how do you manage performance of your team? As a team, um, I don't, tend to measure individuals per se. I hold the team accountable. So I measure what the team is putting out. And we had lots of conversations about processes uh, because we work very hard in establishing trust within the team. Then we call each other out, right? So when someone is doing something that, you know, goes against what the team has agreed on, you know, we're, we're very, very okay with saying, Hey, John, that's not how we do things here. And here's why. And here's the process. I'm sending documentation over. And so that becomes, you know, uh, very, very easy to manage because you're just managing team output. Uh, But that doesn't mean that sometimes individuals, you know, won't have problems, right? But the way I manage that is by first providing support, right? So the trust first. Don't assume that they're doing something wrong just for the sake of doing something wrong. You know, instead ask them, are you okay? What is going on? How can I help you? Do you need more support? Do you need more training? What do you need? How can I get you out of this, whatever it is that is happening in your life? Uh, And I'm here to help you. We're all here to help you as a team. You know, you can count on our support and then, you know, just let us know. You know, I'm here to be, you know, remove blockers and whatever the blocker is. And it might be something, you know, deeply personal, something family related, you know, that maybe there's something we can do, right? Even if it's just give you a break, assign, you know, different type of work, um, you know, lesser expectations from you just because, you know, you might not be available. You have kids going remote, for example, is something that a lot of parents on my team are dealing with right now. We're going back to school and everybody, every school is starting remote first and then they're going in person, but they might close and, you know, you have to be remote again. And they're expecting kids to have an office set up and be there from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on some sort of office. And that, that is not going to be easy, right? So, so those things will show up on an individual level because right? if you don't have kids, then, you know, it doesn't really affect you that much. Um, so those are the things that you have to go on and see how you can support them. Yeah, I- I can I can definitely see that it's sort of like diagnosing, you know, on a on an ad hoc basis and, and on an individual basis to be able to be able to to be able to provide that support, you know, you were saying, and remove those blockers. So yes. I can definitely agree that that that's that's very important in, in in remote teams, and that's very important in 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 general teams as well to to understand that that personal side of things. Exactly. I mean, however, do you, do you use any specific, you know, KPIs for your team or, or do you only measure output? So releases or, I don't know, versioning or, you know, cut pushes or, you know, do you have any specific KPIs for your team or you're only just, or you're just generally? Uh, for us specifically, it's, it's more of a general thing. We, we do measure story points. Uh, we use those mainly for estimating, but we do keep track of, you know, how much output, you know, we produce as a team. Um, but it's usually about, you know, are we providing value 
to our customers, right? And what does that mean, right? So then it's working very closely with product and working very closely with sales and other executives to make sure that the work that's coming into our Kanban board is actually what we should be working on, right? So, and when you think about it that way, you know, yes, you can have goals, you can have KPIs, uh, but those become less important than are you working on the right things? We could push a lot of the wrong things, right? We could do a lot of work as an engineering team, but it's, it's, it's work that is adding value to your company is the question that we're always asking ourselves. So that prioritizing exercise becomes very important to us. Um, and, and that is not really something that you can put a number to, like, did you prioritize the right things? Unless you're measuring actual dollar values, right? Some some projects might have return on investment. Those are things that you can measure. And when you can, yes, we do measure those, but not everything is like that, right? So NPS scores is another one, right? So our goal is to, you know, have a better user experience that should be shown in a better NPS score. So yes, so, but it's very case by case specific depending on what the business needs, right? And the business needs are constantly changing and we have to be able to then set ourselves up to be able to uh, allow for that change, right? Change direction very quickly is something that we measure as a team that, you know, which Scrum, for example, you're stuck on those two week cycles, right? Can we do even better than that? Yes, use Kanban, right? You just add the new work, right? So, um, yes, always constantly changing our processes, always with the mindset of, you know, are we providing value to the company? You mentioned something very interesting of the prioritizing of tasks and the prioritizing of, of work that is smart work. And that's not just work for work. Uh, and I think that's very important. And, and and you also mentioned that, you know, you focus on work that delivers real value. May that be a better user experience or a better revenue, you know, more revenue or better revenue. Uh, are there other factors that you take into account when making those prioritizing or triaging decisions on a day-to-day basis? Yes. Um, so we actually have, we call a, a priority matrix. So there are certain things that as a company we care about, right? So revenue being one, you you care about the user experience being another one, and we have ways to measure those. Uh, let's say, for example, as a company, um, we use what is what is called wildly important goals. So then what is the wildly important goal for the year, right? We all should be aligned to that goal. And then we measure those, right? So if a project comes in, an idea comes in, and then we say, hey, is this helping us achieve our wildly important goal? Yes or no? Is this going to make us any more money? Yes or no, right? So you have to have those conversations though before you come up with that list of things that there's like commonalities that every group cares about. And then there are certain things that as engineers, we care a lot a lot about performance and security, right? And, and maintenance. And then sales cares a lot about new features, right? So that's where the conflict comes and that's where you basically need to have a conversation, right? So if it, if it matches a lot of your core values and the core things that you look for as a company, then it's usually a go and it's just a matter of saying, well, when do we put it in? Because we have all this work that we have already here. Um, so that's how we usually go about prioritizing work. That's awesome. You also mentioned earlier about, you know, I'm, I'm switching a little, a little gear here and going back into, into remote teams. Uh, you mentioned that you did breakfast Fridays. Those are pretty cool. But are there any other ways that you engage your team besides just the, the usual, you know, 
nine to five work? How else can, do you engage your team? Yes. Um, so we have one-on-ones. Uh, we have the breakfast club. We have meetups or we had meetups, uh, in-person meetups. Now we do virtual meetups. We have tech talks, right? So we're engineers present on a technology. We have something called the AV club. So it's similar to a tech talk, but everybody watches the same video. And then you have discussions about the video. It's usually some technology related. I do send uh, gift baskets to my team. I send gift cards. I also send uh, just um, like online postcards to my team. You know, they get delivered via email. Uh, other times they actually get printed out. So, you know, just different avenues to approach the team in a remote environment, right? Something that doesn't require you to go to a place. Uh, but yes, we... Once COVID is over, hopefully pretty soon, we'll plan on implementing meetups again, in-person meetups. Those are very, very valuable. Getting to know someone in person, shaking hands, giving somebody a hug, having dinner together. Uh, those, you know, trust building, it, you know, it's, it's, it's key. You, you know, so some of the mass haves, right? Even if, if you're fully remote. Right. Definitely. And again, I'm, 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 I'm going to come back to the human factor. The human factor is very important and, and being able to to continuously remind ourselves as you know as as team members that that's what it's all about. I think valuing that will helps people feel you know comfortable with with who and with what they're working and where they're working and and as well as you know with how they're performing. I think it impacts how they perform as well. So so I really like your, your practices and, you know, congrats on those. I, I really, really like those. And so moving a little bit deeper, uh, you know, we went from remote work, now we went to general management. I want to go a layer deeper. I want to go into engineering management practices, um, you know, tech team or a general team, two different animals, right? You know, an engineering team in my eyes, I mean, I, I have a little bit of background in tech, uh, I used I used program PHP back end a little bit of intermediate but you know that's all I know and I and I think that's sort of like the very very edge case an outlier if you will mm -hmm. but you know are there any specific processes or frameworks that you use to manage your engineering team you know agile I think you mentioned Kanban for example exactly yeah so um, agile being you know more like a, a mindset um, that you want to be able to deliver value incrementally, constantly, uh, and then Kanban being one of the things that enables you to do that. So um, the reason I use Kanban is simplicity. I mentioned simplicity before. Kanban is very simple. It's very easy to understand. It's a lot less ceremonies than, you know, compared to um, other agile frameworks like Scrum. Scrum being the most famous one. Um, so... Yeah. Do you do you have you tried you know besides Scrum besides Kanban have you tried other frameworks that you said okay I've tried this but this doesn't work at all and I prefer to go back to these that I that I'm comfortable with. So I've done Scrum, Kanban, and um, and just the classic waterfall type projects where you do everything ahead of time. So you have requirements gathering and you spend a lot of time doing that and you pass that on to the engineers and the designers designers create something and they pass that on to the engineers then we code it and pass that on to qa and it's like a, a lot of big chunks of work 
being passed around. Uh, and, and that used to be pretty common. So that's the way that we did things back when I was at that consultancy that I mentioned. Uh, so basically done, you know, went from that to Scrum and then to Kanban. And then I really like Kanban, I'll be honest. So, <laughs> so far, it's very simple, very easy. And, you know, it's it's just having less ceremonies to worry about, you know, make makes the work so much simpler. I like it. Yeah, I agree. Like keeping keeping with uh, I think the theme of the of the whole chat that we're having today is going to be simplicity. Yes. You know, <laughs> keeping it simple. I like it. And you know, digging up just one step deeper. Do you have any weekly practices that you follow in terms of engineering? Do you have like weekly daily standups, weekly standups? Do you have code reviews on Wednesdays? Do you have any particular weekly practices that you follow with your team? Not a lot of weekly practice. We have retrospectives once a month because we, we do want to see if our processes, if there's anything we should improve, right? Uh, normally, we, we have themes for the month uh, on things that we care about as far as the process goes. Uh, so there is that. And then we have stand-ups uh, Monday and Wednesday only. And every other day is just basically you fill out a spreadsheet with what you're planning on doing for the day, what you did yesterday, and if you have any blockers. And then I go on the spreadsheet and then, you know, figure out if I need to unblock anyone. The reason I do this, again, is, you know, remote teams being distributed across the U.S., across the world. Um, and I want to give, you know, time back. There's something I, I don't think I've mentioned before, but as engineers, um, there's something called being in the flow where, you know, just basically having enough time to concentrate on something. So I... I take time management, you know, very um, serious. And, you know, I want to make sure my engineers have time to concentrate, you know, and be able to do a lot of the thinking and, and the research that they need to do to be able to do their work. So, you know, well, sometimes these meetings uh, might help me more than them. So then I'm very mindful of those. And then, you know, we always question, do we really need this meeting? Do we need to stand up? Can we do something different? Um, and that's how we find a balance. So we still do it twice a week, mainly because the trust is there. You get to see, you know, your teammates, but, you know, you also then get Tuesday, Thursday and Friday mornings. You don't have to deal about that half an hour to 45 minutes, right? Of, of just, you know, telling everybody else what you did and what you're going to be working on. And you could just write that down at some point in the day, you know, and then actually, you know, own your time and be able to concentrate on the things that, that you need to concentrate on. So. Awesome. Time management, huge topic. And it's definitely very important in today's busy world and, you know, six seconds of concentration, you know, time yes. frames that we have. Are, are there any other, you know, tips or, or, you know, best practices that you follow for, to enable your team to, to be better at their own time management? Yeah, so we use um, calendar tools that just basically help you manage your time. Um, Pomodoro is a thing that um, I preach to the team. I don't force them to use Pomodoro technique, but I, I preach it a lot to them because I use it personally. And then just being mindful of meetings. And I ask the team to question every single meeting. If a meeting, you know, gets a schedule to them and it has no agenda, you know, they're okay to just decline the meeting and ask for an agenda. Sometimes, you know, a meeting could just be an email or a Google Doc that you work on asynchronously. So anytime I feel like 
setting up a meeting because I need to have a conversation. That is, I need that a question. And then I say, well, maybe I'll start with the Google Doc. We'll do the synchronous communication first. And only if we feel like, you know, we need further discussion, then we'll set up a meeting. And then, you know, try to not do our long meetings. That's another thing that, that we do here a lot. Uh, so we try to keep them at 30 minutes, 45 minutes the most. And then block your calendar, right? Because uh, the way a lot of companies work is, you know, they'll look at your calendar. They'll see that you're free. They'll schedule something right for you. Uh, whether it's an interview or, you know, they, they have a question or, or they want to get you your opinion on something. So they'll schedule a meeting. So if you know how the game is played, you know, so then lock your calendar so that you have time for yourself and be able to manage that. So. I like that. That's, that's one of the practices I learned early in my career that I use actively and, and just aggressively. I can, I constantly, every, every single day I come on my calendar well, every single week on my calendar and I start blocking, you know, here's when I want to, when I want to do deep work. Like I don't want to get disturbed. And I want to schedule two, three hours for that. And it helps my team understand what I'm working on. It helps my team know when they can talk to me. So I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's of great value, not only for yourself, but for your team as well, because it gains them visibility. Um, and the more visibility in, in my opinion, the better, right? So, you know, going into, into more, you know, some other practices and, and given that we're in the engineering management topic, are there any code based management practices that you recommend? Code based management practices. Um, yes. Yeah, so there is a, a whole thing to be said about shifting left. And, and what that means is that, you know, the more that you can validate and the more things you can do before you actually merge code into your main branch, then the better you are. And so some examples are static analyzers, running your unit tests against your branch, running your functional tests, your end-to-end tests even. So being able to deploy your branch into some environment that has everything and then running tests against that. Doing your load testing in there, your performance testing, your security checks, your secret checks, right? Uh, All those things, you know, the earlier they happen in the process, the better you're going to be, right? So um, the least likely you are to introduce problems, you know, the faster things go. And with, with the theme of providing value to our users constantly, you know, and, and keeping quality up, you know, so the more you ship left, the, the better you are. Um, so tools specifically for that, I, I would say use what works best for you, what you're familiar with. If you're not familiar with any, then, you know, do a little bit of research and usually go with what most people know, because then you get better support. Um, and, and, you know, as a, as a manager, I'm always thinking about hiring. Uh, so then, you you know, the, the more familiarity there is with tools in the industry, the more likelihood that you're going to get engineers that have experience in those tools. Got it. So I think that, you know, a lot of what you mentioned is just key for, for, you know, for teams to be able again, and I don't want to, I don't want to sound like Facebook, but move, move fast and break things. But I mean, it, it is true. It, it helps them to be, you know, autonomous and and to to, co- to continue to, to deliver that value. So I'm curious: Are there any anyone that's that's you know in charge or responsible for assuring that they go through the process, 
or is everyone expected to do that as part of their of their involvement with the team? Um, everyone should be expected to know at least know how things happen and how things work, uh, and you know be able to help out if needed. Obviously, you know you're going to have experts, right? So you have front end engineers, QA, back end engineers, your DBA administrators, uh, your security experts, right? Um, ideally, what you want, you know, is you want a team that is able to combine all those roles into one. And if you don't have those roles, then you know it, it usually falls on the engineers to know about security and know about QA, and they should be able to write tests. If you have QA, you know, QA sometimes can help write some code, validate things, you know, run their tests, write unit tests that usually falls on the engineers, you know. So it's a little mix, I, I think, because at least in my experience, uh, I push for teams adding value. So then I expect everybody in the team to be able to contribute in one way or another. Uh, you know, with, with Agile, one of the, the tenants there is that you want to avoid, you know, that switch over me passing work over the wall to somebody else because that causes a lot of friction. You know, there's a lot of time wasted in there. There are blockers that happen. Uh, so for that to happen, you basically need a, a, a team that is able to do a lot, right? And everybody in the team is able to do a lot, right? So the, the circle of experience spreads a little bit over to, it's not just a software engineer for the back end. So software engineer for the back end that it's okay going into the front end and debugging something. It's okay writing a unit test, right? So yeah, I would say uh, more on the generalist side uh, works a lot better. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Do do you? Is that something that you source for when you're looking for for engineers, or is it more something that you teach them whenever they join your team? Both. Uh, so when you're looking, there's the standard industry, industry. I think it came from McKinsey or some large consulting company. It's called the T-shape, right? So yeah. you want somebody that knows a lot of things, but they specialize in one. Uh, so that's the sort of talent that you know most teams would desire for. We want a backend engineer that can do all these sort of things. We want a front-end engineer that is okay, you know, going into the backend. That is okay writing SQL statements. That is okay writing unit tests, right? Uh, so yeah, T-shaped engineers is something very common that we look for uh, in our teams. Yes, I agree, and, and I think in every team, you know, besides tech, should should do that. We don't. I, I guess it's not very well practiced, but should yes. be anyways. Uh, you mentioned some tools uh, that you used before, and, and do you have any other specific software tools that you use to enable your team? Um, I like being able to provide them with tools and then having them choose when to use them. So I like, uh, we are a .NET shop. So uh, there's a tool called ReSharper that just has a, a lot of things that they provide you with. So ReSharper is a tool that we provide, you know, the team that uh, helps them, you know, on their local environment. It does a lot of security checks for you, static analyzers. It has a lot of best practices embedded in there. So we'll make recommendations. You know, if you write a for loop, it will say this could be rewritten this way because it's more performant, it's more secure. Um, so it has a lot of things embedded in there, but I also have to trust my engineers. And when they tell me that, you know, hey, they're okay, they like ReSharper, but it's, it's not their thing, then I have to trust their judgment that that is not, 
you know, some, something that I'm going to force them to use. So as long as I'm able to provide them with the tools that they need, uh, I think they'll be fine. Uh, we obviously use source control. We use GitHub for that. And we have a lot of plugins to GitHub to do all these other checks, right? We, we use deployment tools uh, to be able to push our code into AWS. Um, so let's see, what tools do we use specifically? There Octopus Deploy, we use TeamCity is another one where we basically build our code in TeamCity and we deploy it using Octopus Deploy. Um, Ansible for management configuration. We're looking at other tooling, you know, to, to do feature flags, for example. It's something that we built in-house and now we want to use a tooling, you know, to, to have better support. So, yes, tools are great enablers, but there is also a, a thing about using the right tool for the job, right? So. Yeah, using the right tool for the job, I think that's that's like, I, there was a joke about that. I think it's about using or wrong tool to open the door. I don't remember the joke, but yeah, I, I can relate to that. But it's true. I mean, it's, and especially in this software as a service world, right? There's just a tool for everything nowadays. So you can just basically employ and, you know, and get in its turnkey, right? So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good to get it's pretty good to know that there's, you know, that you have that flexibility in terms of like, this is the recommended, this is the base, but feel free to do whatever you want. And if it delivers on the value, I like that you're very objective, you know, very objective uh, focused. That's pretty cool. Um, let's say that for a second, let's, let's talk about a scenario here. Let's say that I was a newly minted manager. Let's say you back in the day, whenever you were just promoted into to a manager, then you were going remote, you had no idea what you were doing. You know, what are some recommendations that you've learned from your from all of your experience managing engineering teams? What were your, you know, two to three things? Uh, what two two to three tips would you give that person? Sure. Um, I would say start by listening. Listening, listening, listening is very, very important. The The path to management is usually you become an expert in something and then there's this, you know, like why in, in your a decision making in your life? Do you then want to manage people or do you want to continue down, you know, the very technical approach, right? Whatever it is that you're doing. And then, you know, because you all normally have to make it to a certain level before you're even considered for management, you know, and it's, it's very normal for new managers to say, okay, I came here because I'm an expert in software engineering, for example. So then I need to then tell people how to do their work because I know better than them. And that's why they put me here. And that is totally wrong. Your job is not to do that anymore. <laughs> you have engineers doing the engineering work. Your job is to enable them to do that. And that requires a lot of listening. So less talking or listening. Uh, think of teams, you know, so how do you build trust within the team? Think of time management. You know, as a manager, you're, uh, a big part of your job is decision-making and communication. So your calendar looks full of meetings and it's totally okay for you as a manager, but it's not okay for your engineers. 
So, you know, you, we tend to impose our needs on our, our team. And then so it becomes very easy to then speak in meetings, right? So I need a meeting for this. I need a meeting for that. When you get a decision, then you just throw a meeting on the calendar. When you, what you're not realizing is that, you know, you're screwing with their time. You're screwing with their flow. You're screwing with the, their, their ability to think. You're forcing them to switch context, right, from one thing to the other very quickly. And why that might work for you, that does not work for them. Um, so communication being uh, another very important one, write your things down. If you can start a blog, that, that would be a great idea because there's a lot of things that you learn and then you forget, or, or maybe I'm forgetful, but <laughs> I do forget a lot of things. Uh, so writing them down somewhere, keeping a notebook of ideas and processes and why things work and when things didn't work is very important. And lastly, I would say lead by questions. Uh, this is very important. You might know the answer. You think you're right. Don't say that thing out loud. Ask questions instead, right? Because um, again, your engineers are the experts now. They're the ones that are going to do the work. They're the ones architecting the systems and building them for you. If you have concerns, it's okay to have concerns. Ask about those concerns. Don't tell them, don't do it like that because you're, all you're doing is basically getting your engineers to become defensive not to trust you anymore. They're not going to come with you with any ideas or concerns because they're going to feel like you're just going to shut them down because you think you know better than them. Uh, so you're not doing anybody any favors by, you know, imposing your knowledge. It's okay. You were an expert. You got there. Just ask a lot of questions. <laughs> instead. It's, you got there. Now you're no longer there. It's a different sort so of like focus is, that you have. Very, very different. Yes. That's a, those are awesome recommendations. I think those those are very well for, you know, I think for, for the general manager as well. Uh, so th thank you for those. And, you know, lastly, I want to talk a little bit about hiring. Um, I know that hiring remote is completely different animal and beast than just hiring for an in-person position. You know, given that you've worked in remote for so long, you know, what, what what's the key for for hiring in your eyes a remote developer? What do you focus on? Uh, remote, I would say it's, I mean, it's, it's not that much different from, from hiring, you know, in person, but you are missing out on some things. Uh, I'll give you an example. When, when you go for an interview in, in a physical place, people look at how you're dressed, right? Like right now I could be wearing shorts and sandals and you wouldn't know, you're just looking <laughs> at my shirt, true. right? There is a smell to me. There is uh, my height, you know, my presence, right? The, the aura that I provide, all those things are part of how you communicate. And, you know, so normally you do this and, and you start looking good, right? You know, in superwoman pose and it gives you confidence and all that shows, right? Are his hands sweaty? And then, you know, when you're interviewing someone, all that communication comes across. And when you're doing an interview remotely, you lose all of that, right? So you're, you're losing on a lot of the communication things that you would normally rely on to make a decision 
right? Decisions, sadly, uh, are still based on, on opinions for the most part, right? Uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to make decisions uh, about an engineer without saying, I feel good about this person, right? You don't feel good about them, you usually don't hire them, right? They could be perfect elsewhere, but you still have to feel good. So a lot of that feel good about someone comes from those in-person interactions. So then what you have to do is you then try to get a, as much of that communication to happen. So video is very important, right? Uh, and being able to see someone becomes very important, but you also want to be fair. So keep your process consistent. So treat every candidate the same, right? Put them through the same process. Don't change things for one or the other. Um, and then, you know, it's consistency and, and visibility, uh, I would say, are, are two of the important ones. Another thing that you missed out on, uh, and this is, you know, uh, happens a lot in the tech world, your whiteboarding sessions, right? Um, those are sort of different now because, you know, you don't have a whiteboard normally or, or, or nothing that is uh, as close to a whiteboard. So then normally it's like go find tooling that works for everybody. Um, usually what we do here at Olo is we allow you to bring your machine and then you know you log in and you log into your IDE of choice, right? The the tools that you're used to, and then we accommodate to you know what what you work on normally, right? Uh, so being very accommodating to those things and and being okay, you know, remote being okay with kids showing up, right? It's another thing that has happened in interviews, being okay with people in the background, with noises, right? Everybody's at home now. So all the office rule settings sort of like go away and, you know, you're going to be working with them and it's going to be the exact same thing. So don't punish people for little things in interviews that you would normally punish them for in an on-site interview. So just you just keep that remote remote mindset in in mind when you're interviewing definitely i think that's 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 big and and that's part of what you know helps it also brings it, it takes some some of the body language away but it also gives you more going back to the meritocracy it also helps those who don't perform well on those things to be able to actually shine on what they do, which is their yes. work. So that's, I think it's a, it's a, a little bit of a balance. It balances out both sides. So, so it's part of the, like I like to say, it's part of the whole equation. Um, yes. Are, do you look for in any specific traits or skills in your engineers when you're, when you're hiring or do you, or do you only know, or do you follow very strictly your job description? Um, our job descriptions right now are actually varied because we're hiring for all sorts of positions, right? So, and from junior level to senior level. So what we do or what I do is I look for uh, a, a core set of traits that I like to see. So humility being one, communication being very important. I need to make sure that we're going to communicate well. Um, or else it's going to be very difficult to work remotely if you can write well and speak well. So communication, I I look for teamwork. So I ask a lot of questions about how you would work with a team, give you scenario type questions about, you know, possibilities, getting feedback, providing feedback, and how does that work? Um, 
and then you know a, a good technical base and obviously you can measure with experience right so if you are a recent graduate from a bootcamp or a university obviously that good technical base might just mean you're able to do an mbc application and you know what sql means right and i'm not going to push your limits into all the stuff but if you're applying for a staff engineer position you know we expect you to have work with distributed systems and to know distributed tracing and to know how to deploy and set up CICD and you know we expect you to architect systems right so that technical base will vary but all these other things are pretty standard right specifically communication being a very important one i like that i like that and i know you also mentioned that you work with with teams around the world which which leads me to to assume that you've worked with you know with international talent you know Correct. what what are your general thoughts about you know international talent you know what have been your experiences uh, are there any differences with you know with you know US developers what can you tell me about that there is uh, differences in in culture that I've noticed uh, when working with engineers in Asia and Europe and with engineers in Latin America. So I work with engineers in Mexico, Guatemala, Canada, India, Japan, Ukraine, uh, Poland, you know, all, all over the place. Uh, you know everything. <laughs> yes. So that I would say the one thing uh, as a manager is do not assume that people elsewhere work like they work in the U.S. Okay. Right. So it, because it's not like that, right? So um, culture in, in other countries will vary. So you will do yourself a favor if you hire an engineer in Mexico to go read about you know the, the, the culture in Mexico, go read about the culture in India, um, you know, even colors and the way you approach and even eye contact, you know, normally, which is very common here in the US, that's something that is not common in other countries, right? So it's okay for people to look down when they're talking to you. And so don't take that the wrong way. So the more you learn about those little differences in, especially in communication when you're remote, um, I, I think the better your, your team is gonna be. All right, that was Jose Delgado's interview. I know it's a lot of information to take in and to help you put it into practice, we have prepared a guide with checklist and actionable tactics that you can download at codersling.com or by clicking the link in this episode description. For now, this has been the hiring brief. 